This afternoon I preach to you the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the church in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 18, about the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here the church confesses, here you confess. What do you confess when you say he ascended into heaven? That Christ, before the eyes of his disciples, was taken up from the earth into heaven. That he is there for our benefit until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Is Christ then not with us until the end of the world as he promised us? Christ is true man and true God. With respect to his human nature, he is no longer on earth, but with respect to his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. But are the two natures in Christ not separated from each other if his human nature is not present wherever his divinity is? Not at all, for his divinity has no limits and is present everywhere. So it must follow that his divinity is indeed beyond the human nature which he has taken on and nevertheless is within this human nature and remains personally united with it. How does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven before his Father. Second, we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. Third, he sends us his spirit as a counterpledge by whose power we seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God and not the things that are on earth. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Psalm 47 is a beautiful psalm. You can imagine being in the midst of this crowd of people. Imagine you're in the middle of all these people clapping your hands and shouting for joy. Maybe the children remember once going to a parade or something and everybody lined the sides of the street and you looked and you, you wanted to see, and everybody was excited and, and very happy. Well, Psalm 47 is talking about a new king. After many years of oppression and slavery under the enemy, the rightful king destroyed all the enemies, and, and finally the country could have peace. You can imagine the joy of the people in the crowd clapping their hands and shouting for joy. All around you, Crowds are, are shouting and, and you can hear the trumpet sounds as the victor approaches for the big ceremony. Can you imagine how happy you would be, for example, in the time of David when, when the enemies were destroyed, the oppressors, and, and here comes David, the king. Well, today you can feel much happier than the people in the crowd watching David become a king or any other king on earth for that matter. Because you can celebrate the, the coronation, the enthronement of a more powerful soldier, the promised son of David, who was crowned king over the universe. 
coronation means to, to receive your crown. Corona means crown. It's not just a drink. So the coronation ceremony speaks of the moment when the king comes up and, and he has the crown placed on his head. And so when the Israelites sang Psalm 47, they thought about the Lord, the Lord Almighty, who they couldn't see going, going up before the people to show his power in their midst, either on the throne or, or sometimes in the ark going up to the temple. When we sing Psalm 47 today, we think about the Son of God going up to heaven in his flesh to show his power over all the earth and to save us place in the eternal kingdom. Psalm 47 continues to help Christians express their joy about their king who subdued his enemies, whose throne is in heaven, and whose kingdom is growing. I preach to you this gospel Christ ascension is the coronation ceremony of our eternal king. First then we see that Christ's enemies are subdued. When you look at Psalm 47, and it's helpful to have it open in front of you again, you could see that it's about God as the great king over all the earth. Verse 2 makes that very clear. And he's coming to his throne amid shouts and trumpet blasts. And then verse 3 to 4 explains a little bit about what happened before and, and why the people were so happy we read that the Lord Most High subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. The people singing Psalm 47 are happy because the Lord Most High is on their side. He loves Jacob. That's a reference to Israel or his, his covenant people, the church. He loves his church and he takes action to defend and protect them. He is a beloved king because he is a liberator, a redeemer who subdues the enemies in order to preserve Israel's inheritance. There's a strong connection then in this psalm between the destruction of the enemies and the enthronement of the king. The king who sits down on the throne is the one who destroyed the enemies. And if you look to the Old Testament, if you look to the history of the people of God, you can see that repeatedly the enemies were subdued and the Lord would take his place on his throne. Many times the people of Israel could sing Psalm 47. They could sing about how the Lord subdued his enemies, whether they were Israelite kings like Saul or Ahab or Manasseh or even oppressive foreign kings like Pharaoh or Nebuchadnezzar. There were many times in Israel's history that they sang Psalm 47 about the king of all the earth showing his power, taking his rightful place on the throne as the defender of Jacob, his covenant people. The Lord Almighty, he, he played with creation itself to cause national plagues in Egypt subdued their armies by drowning them in the Red Sea immersion, showed his glory on Mount Sinai when he gave the law, and then he took his seat right there in the middle of the people when the cloud filled the tabernacle. God went up to Mount Zion amid shouts of joy as the ark 
was brought back to Jerusalem after David subdued the Philistines. And then again, when Solomon dedicated the temple, the people shouted with, shouted with joy to see their God enthroned in their midst. We read in 2 Chronicles 29 of the shouts of joy, and you can even see that the people sang psalms of David uh, along with trumpet blasts after God subdued the mighty king of Assyria. And then King Hezekiah humbled himself before the true king. He purified the temple and the glory of the Lord returned to the temple. And finally, even after the exile, the glory of the Lord returned to Judah. And as the foundation of the second temple was laid, you can imagine, you can almost hear the people singing Psalm 47 again. Our, our Lord is king over the all, all the earth. He has taken his place in our midst. How awesome is the Lord most high, the great king over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob whom he loved. In all these different celebrations of God's ascension, God's going up, to his throne in Mount Zion in the middle of his people, we can see that, that first the enemies had to be subdued. In the background of the coronation psalm, we need to see the warrior king of Psalm 68 and Psalm 97, that the king before whom people scatter like the wind and, and melt like wax before the fire. We need to see the king who is ascending on high amid thousands and ten thousands of chariots leading captives in his train as we sang in Psalm 68. The celebration of the crowds in Psalm 47 is a celebration of a liberated people who have been set free from the oppression of the enemies. Psalm 47 is a prophecy about Jesus Christ. Like God already revealed in the Old Testament before Jesus Christ ascended to his heavenly throne in, in Zion, he subdued his enemies. The devil could not tempt him in the wilderness. The demons fled at the sound of his voice. Diseases and injuries were healed. People were, were liberated from the slavery of sin. And even death itself was not stronger than the Lord Jesus who restored the dead to their families before conquering death himself. On Ascension Day, we celebrate the victory of a powerful warrior king. Not a warrior king who destroyed the Romans, like the, the disciples were expecting in Acts 1, verse 6, or a warrior king who destroyed any other king or any other nation here on earth, but a warrior king who destroyed the source of all hatred of his enemies. He destroyed the devil. He destroyed death. He destroyed the power of sin. We say in Jesus Christ, sin has no dominion over us anymore. 
And so we see that Jesus Christ was not that forceful axe that cut down the trees of the occupying nations as John the Baptist's disciples were expecting of him in Matthew 11. Nor did Jesus Christ send fire from heaven to consume the Samaritans who rejected him, as we can read in Luke 9, verse 54. But our Lord Jesus fought the the spiritual battle against against the powers of the kingdom of darkness through his miracles, through his teaching, through his preaching of his kingdom. That's how he responded to John the Baptist. He said, "Look look at what I'm doing. You want to see the power? You want to see your warrior king? You can see it in the preaching. You can see it in the spread of this proclamation of the gospel. He establishes his kingdom not through holy wars, not through violence against unbelievers, but the Lord Jesus subdues his enemies by leading them to their knees in repentance before a holy and a gracious God. That is the first fulfillment of Psalm 47. That is what the church thinks of when it sings, and we'll sing this after the service, nations he brought low, humbling every foe. We celebrate his ascension in the first place because he is our king who destroys the power of sin and death. That's a gracious message for the world. It's a question we can ask, we can say, are you entangled in the cords of sin? We'll meet many people who are, many people who are addicted to their, their sins, maybe even suffering from an addiction, who live following their, their idols, whether it be more money, whether it be more fame. You under the dominion of the evil one, many in the world are, and we have a gracious message. We have a king who subdued our enemies. Good news is that the liberator, Jesus Christ, has taken the power of the devil or the accuser away. He breaks the teeth of the enemy. Some Psalms even say it that way. He breaks the teeth of the enemies. They, they can't get a hold on those who are in Jesus Christ anymore. And when you believe in him, you can know that God will not count your sins against you. We sing in Psalm 124, I'm like a bird that's escaped from the fowler's trap. We preach the forgiveness of sins and the victory of Jesus Christ who made all his enemies subject to him before he took a seat upon the heavenly throne. We see that his throne is in heaven. Psalm 47 verse 5 talks about the ascension of the king. God has ascended amid shouts of joy. The Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. Trumpets were reserved for special occasions. So it seems clear that the psalm is speaking of a coronation. It's it's a fitting psalm to celebrate those special moments when God manifested his glory on earth as king of his people in Zion. And yet the meaning of this psalm becomes even more clear when we read it beside Acts chapter 1. Do you want to talk about the ascension of God and the coronation of a great king? Well, look at what the Holy Spirit reveals to us in Acts 1 verse 9. 
After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. The Son of God was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. In Luke, we read that while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. It's the ultimate coronation story. The ultimate coronation history. After subduing all his enemies, nailing sin to the cross, and overcoming death in his resurrection, the Son of God was lifted up to heaven. The throne in heaven is a throne above all thrones on earth. We see then that his kingdom is not a national kingdom, but it is a universal kingdom. It is also a much more permanent throne than the throne of any king on earth. No king on earth can topple the throne of the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. The principalities and the powers of darkness tried to defeat the Lord Jesus, but they could not. We read in Revelation 12 that the child of the woman, that's the the promised Messiah, was snatched up to God and to the throne. You can see that in Revelation 12, verse 5. That's a reference to Christ's ascension. And then there was war in heaven between Michael and his army against a dragon and his angels, verse 7. And then we read in verse 9, but the great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. The Old Testament, we read that once in a while the glory of God left the people of Israel, left the temple. But that won't happen with our Lord Jesus Christ. We see in Revelation that he is the precious Lamb of God seated on the throne and he will never abandon his heavenly kingdom or leave his heavenly throne. He is there to stay. That's the declaration of the gospel. It also comes to us as as a warning. If you think that your little kingdom, your little empire that you're trying to build here on earth, if you think that is, is more important than the kingdom of the Son of God, then you need to know you are dedicating your life to a vain hope of comfort. There is one king above all kings. His throne is in heaven. He is an everlasting king on an everlasting throne. And when you submit your lives to this king and to this kingdom where the burden is light and the yoke is easy, the blessings of having this king in heaven are amazing. And the church confesses these blessings in Lord's Day 18 of the Catechism. It highlights how good it is to have a king who has his throne in heaven. Because when he is there in heaven, then we, his body, are there also. And using the words of 1 John chapter 2, we confess that he is our advocate before his father. That means the Lord Jesus is there in heaven. He's the head and he knows the name of of each one of us. And he represents us before his Father in the glory of heaven. He defends us before the Father. 
In Matthew 10, verse 32, the Lord Jesus comforts us with these words. He says, if you're brave enough here on earth to say you belong to Jesus Christ, if you acknowledge me before men, if you take the hit for being a Christian here on earth, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. He he confirms that in heaven for us. He also says if you disown him here on earth, he will disown you there before his Father in heaven. So he's there, he's representing his body. He's representing all those who say, I belong to the body of Jesus Christ. Romans 8 verse 34 confirms what we read in other places. We, there we see that the ascended Lord is continually interceding for us before the Father. As long as he is there, then his body, the church, Jacob, Israel, can be sure that they have a place. And that's what the Lord Jesus says to his people in John 14. He says, I'm going to my Father, I'll prepare a place for you. A place for you in heaven. The gospel is that because the Lord Jesus is there in his human nature, with his human body and soul, we can know that our human bodies and our human souls can also live eternally in the presence of the Father. And we will live with him eternally if we love him already now. But we should also understand that the separation that we see between heaven and earth does not really represent a separation between Christ and his body, Christ and his subjects. So in response to the question in our catechism, is Christ then not with us until the end of the world as he promised us? That, that the question is, if he's sitting there in heaven on the throne in his body and soul, is, it, is he still with us really? The answer is, of course he is. Of course he is. He is true man and he is true God. Although his human nature is on the throne in heaven, and we can't see that with respect to his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. Jesus Christ, our Savior and our King, has a divine nature which has no limits, which is present everywhere. And yet, since it is also within the human nature and and personally united with it, it is truly our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is there on the throne, reigning over the whole universe. When we get to Lord's Day 19, we can see what a comfort that is for us to know. That's great news for the world. It's great news for the world to know that the Lord Jesus Christ is on his throne in heaven. That's why the Psalm 47, as it sings of the, of the great king, it says in verse 1 and 6, Clap your hands, all you nations. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. So you know, you know the eternal king. 
You know that he is the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that he is the king of the universe. You know that you are part of his kingdom. Then you also need to hear that command. Psalm 47, sing praises. Do you sing praises? Do you celebrate that your Lord is the king of the universe? He calls us all to submit to him through the faithful. He calls us all through the faithful preaching of the word. And the good news is that his kingdom is growing. Psalm 47 associates the ascension of the king of the earth with a universal celebration, a universal party. At first glance, when we look at the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, it seems like there's very few people, just a few disciples who worship the Lord with joy. However, when we hear the angel's explanation, we can see that this event recorded in Acts 1 is only a part of the plan. The first step of Christ's kingdom-growing work is his coronation, his ascension to the throne. The kingdom will continue to grow through the preaching. The number of people praising and worshiping the eternal king is always increasing. As the Christ-appointed witnesses left the mountain of Jesus' ascension, they went out into all the world preaching that the king of the eternal kingdom is on his throne in heaven. And so what do we see? We see that blessing of our Lord Jesus Christ that he gave with, with outstretched arms. It reached more and more nations as he got closer and closer to his throne. You can see that, it's, you can put his blessing, you can see him ascending and put that right beside Acts 1 verse 8. He started in Jerusalem and as he went higher up, his blessing reaches to Judea and as he went higher up to Samaria and as he goes up to heaven, the blessing of his kingship reaches the ends of the earth. Jesus Christ is victorious king. He is a king of a universal kingdom. His word goes out to the ends of the earth and his universal glory can, can be seen and will be even seen clearer. The angel said to the men standing there, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And that angel is simply repeating the words of our Lord Jesus the Lord Jesus had already said this in Matthew 24, verses 30 to 31. The Lord Jesus said, At that time the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a, with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather the elect from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. You see how the kingdom is growing. And again, when our Lord Jesus was on trial before the high priest, he confirmed that he was the Christ, the Son of God, the eternal King. And he says, but I say to you, I say to all of you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. 
The last trumpet will sound, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 52. The King of kings, Jesus Christ, will be revealed as he promised in Revelation 11, verse 15. There we read, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. That's the Lord who went up into heaven. That's the coronation ceremony that we celebrate. That's, we see the result of that coronation when we look around. As we read this morning, as we celebrated the Lord's Supper, we read that God exalted his son, Jesus Christ, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And then we read, so that, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The universal enemy has been destroyed. Our liberator king sits on his throne in heaven. He preaches repentance and forgiveness of sins through the faithful preaching of the church. He promises grace and transformation in the power of the Holy Spirit. Today we preach the same thing. If you are new to the church, this does not mean that you cannot or never will share in this eternal kingdom. He is calling you today. Recognize his kingship. See the universal king submit to this king. If you aren't new to church, but are turning back on the only king, well, he calls you too. He is not a tyrant. He does not come in using physical force, but he is also not a coward. He defeats the arrogant and the rebellious in order to protect the vulnerable and the needy, his own children. He calls men to repentance. That's what Paul says in that famous speech in Athens in Acts 7, calling all men everywhere to repentance. He calls all men to seek him as the only king. And his kingdom is advancing one heart at a time. And it's a marvelous thing to see. You can see his kingdom advancing. You can see the power of your king. You can see it in the transformation of lives. You can see when a person submits to the eternal king. You can see it in the way that he speaks to his wife. You can see it in the way that she loves her husband. You can see it in the way that the subjects of the great king do their work. You can see it in the way that they relate to the government. You can see it actually in their face. It actually changes the way you look when you serve the most powerful liberator, the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. His kingdom is growing. Psalm 47 assumes that every creature who knows this king will acclaim 
Christ as king simply because he can. In verse 9, the psalm makes it clear that the way is open for people of all nations of the world. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. You see where you are in all this? The Lord Jesus is not just a cute little baby in a manger anymore. He is not the man next door. You won't be able to find a part of his body in the bread of the Lord's Supper. But Jesus Christ is in heaven on his throne. That is where he must be worshipped. and has marvelous consequences for our lives. As a faithful child of the ascended king or ascended Lord, live like a person whose king is in heaven. Live as subjects of the universal king. Walk with the dignity of the kingdom of God. You can have the confidence of a member of God's church. You can know your enemies cannot win. Enemies of Christ's church cannot win. His throne is in heaven. And so we advance also with the borders of this kingdom as the Lord Jesus continues to gather his people from all the nations of the world. Let your joy overflow for the ascended Lord, our Savior, our eternal King is on his throne. Amen. Let's now sing the same Psalm 47, stanzas 1, 2, and 3. <clears throat>